This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Appreciate you tuning in today. We're picking up with the second part in our series called The People of God. And last time we discussed some very fundamental points about uh, the nature of God and the revelation of God and his expectations for man and his purpose for creating man as revealed in, in Scripture that we would have fellowship with him, that we would be uh, that we would be a reflection of his his character and his holiness, and he gave us the ability to choose those things and desires us to choose those things. So I refer you to that podcast to hear some of those things discussed in more detail. The introductory uh, lesson for for this series, the people of God. Uh, so today we're picking up uh, uh, with again the, the series and thinking about the Israelites in particular and the origin of God's people in the the Old Testament. So there's no denying that Scripture clearly speaks of certain descendants of Abraham as the people of of God. So Abraham had a number of offspring uh, through Hagar and Ishmael, and then later Keturah, his third, uh, his his other, his wife after Sarah died. Uh, But when we read about God's people in the Old Testament, they are the ones who are descended from um, Isaac and, and Jacob, as we're familiar with. So they are spoken as the people of God. In Exodus 19, we read, You are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. And these people are described as a holy nation in Exodus 19 and verse 6, and again, chosen. Um, and I gave you the wrong citation. That was actually Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6 that I was reading from originally. And when the Old Testament speaks of God's people being a holy people or a chosen people, that Hebrew word Kadesh, that's translated as holy, carries with it, as you as you know, the idea of separation, and uh, you know that kind of that special distinction that marks that makes God's people distinctive from everything else that marks them as as different. And when it's used of you know items like garments or um, water or or something to you know to this effect not not people basically the idea has no moral or ethical connotations and so it's like a, a physical separation uh, but moral holiness as the term comes to be used and it, as it's used in the New Testament that doesn't have anything to do with you know that physical idea of separation it 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 does in in the Old Testament with God's people but when it's used of people it always carries a moral and ethical connotation as well as as physical to some degree in the Old Testament. Uh, So Deuteronomy 7 verses 5 through 10, you know, I read verse 6 just a moment ago, uh, and that speaks to uh, being distinctive, being holy by virtue of obedience to, to God. So adhering to those commands and the moral code that he set down for his people. So whether we are in the Old Testament or the New Testament, God calls his people to be holy and their fellowship with him depends depends on that. Uh, read 1 Peter 1, 13 through, through 16 for a New Testament example. Uh, but as we're thinking about this morning, we you know it's hard to understand uh, the favored position of God's people in the New Covenant and his expectations why, and why his people in the New Covenant are chosen without properly understanding the historical background to why his people were chosen in the Old Testament. And it begins with Abraham, who is called a man of faith in many places, Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. And Abraham was not a Jew. Uh, He was 
from Ur of the Chaldees, as Genesis records in, in Genesis eleven twenty six through twenty eight. So he was uh, he was not a Hebrew. He now he's the father of the Hebrew race, but he himself was uh, of the Chaldees, and he is classified as a, as a Gentile at least for a time. In Romans chapter four verses ten through twelve, as as Paul is making uh, his points there. But God made a promise to Abraham, which was later repeated to his descendants. And Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2, saying, I will make you a great nation. And notice he says, I will make I will make you, specifically, Abraham. So he was separated from his own country and his own people. And he and all the males of his household were given this special covenant of circumcision in Genesis 17, 1 through 14. And he, he follows through with that. And his wife, Sarah, who has been barren all her life, uh, they were promised that they would have a son in their old age, and she did uh, bear him a son when she was and when he was a hundred years old in Genesis twenty one one through seven. And we know uh, him to be Isaac, as as the text reveals. And then Isaac later takes a wife from his father's people, uh, who uh, Rebecca, in whom they give birth to to Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, as we know, is the chosen son of of Isaac. Uh, and he takes a wife from his mother's people in Genesis 28, verses 1 through 4. And both of these men, uh, Jacob and Isaac, were warned not to take wives from the Canaanites, nor of other nations where they dwelled. And that's a warning extended throughout the generations that will that will come from them. And so uh, clearly this was by design, and this was uh, God's command and his, and his choice as he is bringing about the nation promise that he gave to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. And when we continue reading the Genesis account, we, we find that Jacob had 12 sons through uh, two women, uh, four women actually, the two women who were his wives and then their servants um, as they are uh, competing for his favor later in the, in the book of Genesis. So, uh, Jacob has 12 sons through through four different women, and their families become the foundation for the 12 tribes of, of Israel or of, of Jacob. Um, those names are used interchangeably in the Old Testament. Of course, Israel is the name that was given to Jacob when he wrestled with um, God in Genesis 32, verses 24 through 28. And then for the rest of the book of Genesis, um, one particular son is singled out, Joseph, who was born to Jacob uh, by Rachel, and he was he was favored by Jacob, and because of this, his brothers were jealous of him and then did many terrible things to him and sold him into slavery, and he eventually finds himself in Egypt where, though he is uh, a slave and eventually arrested and in prison, he still, by the hand of God, rises to become a prominent civil official in Genesis 41 second only to Pharaoh, in fact. And the other sons and their families, uh, during a time of famine later in life, they come to Egypt and they're looking for food and they encounter their brother. Of course, they don't recognize him. And he persuades them to remain there. And uh, and as that story unfolds uh, beautifully and providentially, eventually Joseph's, all of Joseph's family comes to, Jacob's family comes to Egypt. And following Joseph's death and a change of government, they're there for 400 years as slaves. Um, 
And that's where the book of Genesis essentially ends and Exodus begins uh, that, that transition. So there was multiple generations of hardship that I think welded those people together. And they became the Israelites that Moses would eventually lead uh, into the wilderness to to the promised land uh, that God promised them. And that was also one of the things that was told to Abraham in Genesis 15, 18 through 21, that this this land that was shown to Abraham where he went would be the place for his people that would be given to, to his posterity. And that unfolds, of course, with Moses and Joshua and the conquering of that, that land and the settling of the land. And as we read through the Bible, we see that any future land claims of present-day premillennialist, as well as those of, uh, you know, an Anglo-Israel kind of movement or uh, political, uh, you know, we hear that a lot in uh, not every news outlet, but in, in some news outlets, uh, some folks seem to have the idea that Israel's success has some sort of religious significance. That means, uh, meaning, you know, the Israeli nation, their standing and their success and prosperity in in the Middle East has some sort of religious significance today, and we need to back them because, um, you know, they were promised these things in Genesis 15 and, and so on and so forth. But when we look into places like Joshua 21, you know, the, 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 the book about the leader, the military leader who led them into the land, who was God's chosen, he, it says that the Lord gave to Israel, this is Joshua 21, 43 through 45, that the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it, and not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. And he says even more uh, later in that same or earlier in that same chapter. No, actually, it's two chapters later in, in chapter 23, wherein we find uh, God's promise that when you transgress the covenant of Yahweh, your God, you will perish from this good land, which the Lord, your God, has given you. And so we have this promise, or this statement, first of all, that all that God said, that promise to Abraham and to his people with regard to the nation and the land promise, that came to be fulfilled, and not one of the, the words that he said to them failed. And then furthermore, we have this um, condition, condition put, at, put before us in Joshua 23, that when you transgress the covenant of, of your God, he's going to take this land away from you. You're going to perish from the good land. And the prophets of Israel documented their transgressions, and they recognized this penalty. Isaiah says, Alas, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. And unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we should have become like Sodom, and we would have become like Gomorrah. And so the idea is there we would have been utterly destroyed. Uh, but God had a plan to preserve his people through whom his, his son would ultimately come. But Jeremiah, for example, as well says um, that because they have forsaken me, God says through Jeremiah, because they have forsaken me, I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem. And so God told that prophet to break an earthen bottle in their presence and say, even so will I break this people in this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot be made whole again. And so that that's a lot of history, but the, the point is that um, Israel today or Israelis today have no claim to these promises that 
God made to his ancient people because he fulfilled them. And he also fulfilled his word regarding the punishment that would come when they forsook him. And this isn't an anti-Semitic kind of argument or charge, uh, but it's just if we just take the time to look at the biblical picture and recognize the events that that unfold and uh, what the Jewish prophets themselves said, um, this is this is critical to our understanding of God's people today and and who it is that makes up the people of the people of God. Uh, they were God's people are, are given this special blessings um, for a purpose, and those blessings did not come without conditions. Right as we as we read earlier, and so even their being chosen chosen was uh, condition, conditional. Uh, just read that text again in Exodus nineteen five through six. God is not now, or has He ever been, a respecter of persons? Right? You will perish from this good land, He says, if you fail to honor Me and to worship Me as as you should. And again, we know His people uh, failed to do that. And so, His desires and His ultimate goals for all of His people have never changed. And in the original choosing of Israel. In light of God's eternal purpose for mankind, we we have to understand that that He again is not a respecter of of persons. He wanted the same thing for His people then as He as He does now. Deuteronomy five thirty nine that they would have a heart to fear Him and love Him and find salvation in Him. Um, but that wouldn't ultimately come until the incarnation of His Son and the sacrifice of His Son. So that all nations may be best with blessed, which is the rest of that Abrahamic promise that in you all nations of the earth would be be blessed. We look at that original promise God made to Abraham in Genesis twelve. Again, where he says, I will make a great nation, I will bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And again, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that's repeated. A number of times um, in, in Genesis 22, for example, it says, in, you, uh, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And we're not left to guess what God means by that. Um, because Paul later writes in the New Testament that um, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as to one, and to your seed who is Christ in Galatians 3.16. So, so Paul is saying and and is emphasizing to make it clear that the all nations are blessed that that part of the Abrahamic promise that all nations of the earth would be blessed did not depend on Israel as a nation but um but on one particular individual from that nation specifically Jesus Christ who was Abraham's descendant and David's uh, descendant as well and so it didn't. It didn't depend on Israel as a nation, the Jews as a people. Uh, you know, we have to get past that. It was one particular individual that God always had in mind, through whom He would bless the entire world with every spiritual blessing, and that was that was Jesus Christ, who would um, provide the means for everyone to be reconciled to God. So the nature of these blessings ultimately, when God said. All nations will all be blessed through through you. Um, the nature of those blessings are spiritual, and the, the prophecies of Isaiah spoke to this in Isaiah four and Isaiah ten. 
Uh, they promised these blessings would be for Gentiles as well as Jews, so non-Jews as well as Jews in Isaiah 49, verses 5 through 6. Uh, Peter spoke of the covenant that God made with our fathers, St. Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And he says, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away uh, every one of you from your iniquities in Acts three twenty-five through 26. And Paul would later say, in Acts chapter 13, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And so those are, those are spiritual blessings. Um, one is being spoken of there specifically, but every spiritual blessing is to be found in Christ. Um, peace of mind and comfort and uh, forgiveness of sins and salvation and the hope of heaven and all these things. So the, the physical aspects of God's promise to Abraham were only a means to a far more important and eternal end of salvation there that uh, that he always intended that's what he always wanted for mankind and paul says there's neither jew nor greek you are all one in christ jesus and if you are christ then you are abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise galatians 3:26 through 29 so we see that again in in all of that god's plan was to bring about the means of salvation for all people through his son who would be born from uh, this nation that he created from Abraham, from, from one man, uh, through, through his grandson Jacob. And that's such a wonderful testimony to God's wisdom and, and the scope of his, his vision uh, and his foreknowledge, just how powerful he is. And this was something biblically we can we can look at and see that was it was very difficult for the Jews to accept in Paul's time in, in the New Testament. I guess to some extent it still is, and they really wrestled with this. And Paul addresses this this issue in Romans chapter three. Um, but again, they were just vessels that the whole nation was a vessel to bring um, God's blessings to, to all people. You know, there's an old preacher who used to illustrate that that point by talking about his younger days in in uh in school when he went to school in a log cabin and he said at the end of the week his teacher would often wanted to give the students a treat and so one child of the class would be chosen and they would be given a basket of of apples this one child and they had the great honor of passing out apples to all the rest of the students and so for a time we could say it looked like that one child had all the apples and had all the blessings. But in the end, they were just a vessel chosen by the teacher to dispense those apples to everybody else. And of course, they would end up with um, with one apple themselves, even though they were given the job of passing it all out. So in the end, everyone got uh, the, the same blessings from 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 the teacher. And I think that's an apt illustration for the, the the Jewish nation as a whole being again the vessel by which God would bless um, all all the nation all all people of the world uh, through one individual that came from that nation, and so it may like the student you know it may look like he was just the absolute favorite forever, but he was just a vehicle ultimately for carrying blessings to the rest of the students. And Israel was was the same. They were just a vessel for a time. And and Paul 
gives much more attention to this in, in the New Testament. But God's scheme of redemption for mankind necessitated the incarnation of himself. And there were many peoples and races and cultures on the earth in the time of Abraham, but God chose to develop his, his own people and make them his peculiar people in, in the world through whom he would bring his, his son. And that's why he selected Abraham and Abraham's descendants to be the people through whom Christ would, would come. He used them as a demonstration of his dealing with mankind. And through them, he un- unveiled himself ultimately in Jesus Christ. And it's understandable, again, from a human viewpoint, that um, more of that would be made than God in- intended when it, you know, amongst his amongst the Hebrew people. It would, and again, it would be difficult for them, and it was difficult for them to accept what what seemed to be a lesser role in the new covenant when the gospel was preached to all nations and all people and everybody were given the same terms and conditions by which they could have fellowship with God. And that, uh, again, Paul deals with that in Romans chapter 3. He talks about the advantages of the Hebrews and how they were given the oracles of God and uh, the prophets and, and all of these things and entrusted with these testimonies. And he says, ultimately what those advantages did was rather increase their responsibility and their obligation to obey rather than lessen it. Um, um, despite God's love for them and his assistance to his special people, he He sought among them. Um, what he sought among them is what he seeks among all people, was something more than you know, a physical, ceremonial kind of uh, uh, religion. He wanted people who were inwardly loyal to him. Remember, Paul says in Romans chapter 2 that he who is a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit and not in the letter. Romans 2.29. So, as our study moves forward, we see that it's that it's necessary for God to search for a spiritual people, even among the Jews. So they had many physical distinctions and um, peculiar marks, like in, in the way that they dressed and the food that they were allowed to eat and so on and so forth, and their uh, temple worship and the tabernacle system. But ultimately what God desired was a people who were inwardly loyal to him, who were a spiritual people and not just going through the motions. Um, and only then could they be the true people of God in that moral sense. Uh, and that was true then. It's true. It's true now, whether you're talking about old Testament or new, regardless of race or dispensation, um, God, God's people have always been those who freely give themselves in wholehearted submission to the will of God. And no bloodline or church roster can ever take the place of of that characteristic. Thank you for tuning in today. I look forward to continuing this series with you and studying God's Word further. If you would like to submit a suggestion for a topic or question that you have about spiritual things, you can do that at leonvalleychurch.org or just shoot us an email at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. So look forward to hearing from you and studying with you some more. Please continue to pray about these things. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.